This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Gamley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. Some schools are having a hard time staying open as they struggle with staffing shortages. The Executive Council has approved the state's purchase of a psychiatric hospital and at-home COVID tests soon to be available at your local state liquor store. Joining me now to talk about all this and more are NHPR reporters Todd Bookman and Sarah Gibson. Good morning. Hi, Rick. Good to talk to you both. Uh, Sarah, let's start with you this morning. As the pandemic continues, schools in New Hampshire are really struggling with staffing shortages. You reported this week that this has been a crisis in the making, though, for years. Why is it so hard to find enough substitutes? I think it's a combination of factors. So it's always, you know, for a while now, teachers, substitute teachers have been in short supply and even just school staff have been in short supply. There's been what's considered a critical shortage of many school staff for years now, but particularly with substitute teachers, even with salary increases that were approved by school boards during the pandemic, the pay is is pretty low. People are making maybe $100 at most. for a day of substitute teaching, and then their schedule is really unpredictable. Uh, Combine that now with workforce shortages all around New Hampshire, and then concerns by potential substitute teachers about COVID exposure, and there's just a very, very small pool to draw from. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect storm, and this has actually led to school closures in many parts of the state. What are you hearing from school officials about the challenge to, to keep doors open? Yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting because we, we actually have only seen a couple of schools really close their doors recently, but other school leaders I spoke to said we're on the precipice, it feels like every day, because basically there's already this teacher shortage, and then staff uh, who would be coming into the building if they have any COVID symptoms they're following the protocol, which is that you stay home and you wait for a test. Uh, and, you know, back in the day, we used to go to work when we were sick. That's not happening anymore. And then, you know, the COVID transmission has just been so high uh, for a number of months in New Hampshire, and that's affecting, obviously, teachers. Maybe their kid has COVID, so they're taking care of them at home, or they themselves um, have, have also gotten it. So if, for a lot of schools, it's just a question um, of how to move different staff across the building to make sure they're covering classrooms. And people have likened it to triage. Basically, you're figuring out who's in who's in the building that day and who they can cover for. I spoke to Jessica Potter. She's a principal over at Ware uh, Elementary, uh, Elementary School in Ware. Uh, and she reflected on a recent afternoon when they had been short about 15% of their staff. It was the end of the day, and we had just done everything we possibly could to cover and had exhausted every single person. And people volunteered to cover and everything. But at the end of the day, I sat back and said, that was not a good idea. We should not have been open. Mm. Sarah, it's not just teachers who have been out sick with COVID, with with the rampant spread, as you said, with the variant. Many students, of course, are sick as well. I'm wondering about the domino effect. You know, you have a kid that misses class for several days, maybe a week, and then returns to find their teacher is now gone as well. And I have to imagine that makes it really tough to to catch up. How is that, that shortage affecting, you know, actual learning in the classroom? That's such a good question because there's data that even a couple days missed, a couple snow days, uh, maybe a week homesick, 
can really affect student outcomes. Um, and that's why, you know, with remote learning last year and so many disruptions, there was significant learning loss for a lot of students. And people are seeing that again this year. I spoke to one substitute teacher who basically put it, she put it this way. She said, you know, someone might be sick uh, and then their family members get sick, which means they're basically quarantined uh, because of COVID related reasons for like could be two, three weeks even, and they come back to school expecting to catch up and their teacher is out sick due to COVID related reasons. And they are relying on a substitute teacher to catch up from weeks away from school. It's really frustrating for the student. And then the substitute teacher in no way can catch them up on that content. And meanwhile, someone who might've been the regular teacher's aide or the paraprofessional is likely not in that classroom to help students because they're covering basically substitute teaching uh, somewhere else in the building. So as you said, it, it really is a domino effect. And then, you know, we haven't even discussed behavioral issues, but students and, and teachers say they're seeing unprecedented uh, amount of behavioral challenges and issues. And so when students, uh, you know, don't have that regular routine and then they return to school, um, there all, are also just disruptions mm -hmm. and, and, and again, behavior problems that substitute teachers and regular teachers. Yeah, the consistency is just not there. Exactly. Uh, access to COVID testing is, is playing a huge role in getting people back to work and school. And, and as cases have been rising with the Omicron variant, people have been turning more and more to using at-home rapid tests, I know, but they're not always easy to find. I, I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Todd, you reported this week that folks will be able to purchase them at New Hampshire's state-run liquor stores. Tell us more about how that rather unique idea came about. Well, you know, the liquor stores are kind of in the in the DNA of New Hampshire state government. Uh, it, it isn't clear exactly who came up with the idea, but we do know uh, that the state is going to use about $12 million in federal funds, and they're going to buy uh, $1 million at-home rapid tests, the antigen tests. And these are going to be on liquor store shelves um, early to mid-February, we're hearing. And anyone will be able to buy. You, you do not need to be, to be 21 or, or a resident of New Hampshire. Okay, so so the Department of Health and Human Services was in support of this idea. Why why did they have have to? What did they have to say at this week's Executive Council meeting about about this? Well, I will I will add. You know, there wasn't a ton of debate about this issue. It seems like uh, everybody was on board that this sounded like a good idea. Uh, here's the the straightforward sales pitch from DHHS Commissioner Lori Shibanet. So that you may pick one up when you go to get a bottle of wine um, to have it in your in your medicine cabinet. I will add, not everybody loves this idea. Um, for starters, these are, uh, you know, these are taxpayer purchased COVID tests that taxpayers, that is residents, uh, will now have to repurchase at the liquor stores. And I also, you know, if you look on Twitter, there was a lot of chatter about uh, folks in recovery or with uh, battling substance abuse issues, not necessarily thrilled about the idea of having to go into a liquor store to get their COVID tests. Um, so not, not, not exactly a uniformly loved idea, but, it, but it's, it's going to be happening uh, and they should be on shelves soon. Okay. So there was some pushback, but uh, it is going through. Yes, it is. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR reporters Sarah Gibson and Todd Bookman. By the way, if you've got questions about what's going on in the state right now, you can send us an email to voices at nhpr.org. We do want to hear from you. Sarah, you reported this week that the number of New Hampshire kids in state custody who are testing positive for COVID has increased dramatically. What's happening inside uh, residential facilities? 
Uh, you know, it's, it's unclear in some ways, but it's basically a, ref a reflection of community transmission increasing in New Hampshire. It's pretty striking. So for a, a long time, the number of positive cases was hovering between zero and 10 in residential facilities. Now it's about 88. That's that's a third of kids who are in kids in New Hampshire custody who are in residential facilities who are now testing positive for COVID. What did the Office of the Child Advocate have to say uh, about that? Well, I mean, she's obviously concerned. Um, you know, one of the questions is what it's like for a kid to be in quarantine. Um, are they necessarily with other people who have who have tested positive for COVID, or are they just by themselves in their room, not going to classes, not engaging in activities? So that was certainly a concern, as well as just the question of how COVID is circulating. Is it coming from staff, or are there just not good um, screening processes happening for? newcomers or for staff on a daily basis. And is the state keeping track of, of the outbreaks in, in these facilities? Not as closely as with other congregant living facilities like jails or nursing homes. And the state says that's because they're focusing on higher risk populations. Um, however, if there's an outbreak reported by a residential facility, they say they'll help out. Another news from the week. I know the state's one step closer to purchasing a privately owned psychiatric hospital. Todd, you reported on that this week. What are the state's plans for that particular facility? Right. So, so the government is going to uh, take over ownership of this uh, private facility, Hampstead Hospital. They're going to pay $13 million for the building and the land. Again, this is using federal money. And, and the goal is to turn Hampstead into a major treatment facility for children and youth in psychiatric uh, distress. You know, for a decade now, there's been a lack of space uh, to treat both adults and children uh, in acute need. This has led to a crisis called ER boarding, where essentially people will linger for days, sometimes weeks, waiting for, for space to open up. Uh, with the purchase of Hampstead, the state is hopefully, you know, the, the plan is to expand the space. And they're going to really focus on those up to the age of 25 years old. And this is going to be both for acute and longer term treatment uh, for these for these younger people. Well, Todd, you know, we talked about this just earlier. I mean, employers are really struggling to find workers and including the, the healthcare field. Um, the state's healthcare system is just overwhelmed between the, between the pandemic and ongoing staffing shortages. So how is Hampstead Hospital coping? Well, well, they've been mired in this same issue as well. You know, the facility is licensed for 111 beds. That's how much space and, uh, uh, you know, they have the ability to treat 111 people at a time, but they've only been serving about 45 patients during the pandemic. They just don't have enough workers uh, or they aren't, they aren't paying enough to attract the workforce. When the state purchase of Hampstead is complete, and that's supposed to be later this spring, uh, they're going to use private contractors to run the facility for the first two years. Uh, all employees are expected to be offered their positions. So how is the state planning to, to bring in more staff, though? Well, they're going to use a private staffing company. Actually, the, the executive council this week greenlit a, a $2.2 million contract with a private firm to bring in uh, teams for the next six months, and that will provide enough staff to serve uh, or to open 10 to 20 more beds. That That's the estimate. And remember, um, children are, are cycling through those beds. They, they expect that it'll they'll care for about 250 extra children uh, and youth uh, over the next six months with, with that contract in place. Okay. Thank you for that, Todd. I want to ask you both before we, we wrap up, what else you are reporting on right now and what you are looking on the lookout for in the next week or so. Um, Sarah, let's start with you. 
Well, I'm working on a couple stories really focusing on students' experience of school right now. You know, we've focused a lot on what it's like to run a school, what it's like to be a parent. Um, and of course, there's tons of statehouse debates about what's being taught in school. Um, but I'm going to be focusing on what it's like to be a student learning or trying to learn in school on a couple different subjects, including climate change science. Okay, and we'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come, I'm sure. Todd, uh, Todd Buckman, what's on your agenda? Uh, well, I'm continuing to, to look at the fallout from the release of the Lori list. This is the list of police officers with, with possible credibility issues. It came out in, at the end of December. You know, it's, it's just a two-page simple spreadsheet. Uh, but, it, you know, if you, you, if you look behind it and look into some of the names on it, you know, there's a lot of interesting information uh, that is coming to light. So continue to, to report on that. Yeah, we don't have full details, though, with that. It's a, it's a rather vague list at this point. It, it is extremely vague, and, and that is um, by design. The, the list itself was not supposed to tell us everything about these uh, officers and their conduct, but there is information out there, and, and people are still talking about this, and I think that this list is going to shape a lot of discussions for weeks, months to come. Okay. Thank you very much. NHPR's reporters Sarah Gibson and Todd Bookman. You can find their work, as always, by the way, and all the stories we talked about at nhpr.org. And, of course, more of the reporting on Morning Edition and on the Friday News Recap. Thanks so much, guys. You're welcome. Thank you, Rick. And if you missed any part of today's segment or you want to catch up on previous weeks, you can find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will be here next Friday with another round of the week's news. I'm Rick Anley, and this is Morning Edition on NHPR.